Please remember that in the Latin American countries, they don't have the same type of sewage system that we have. So all of their paper products are put in the trash. This along with garbage and everything else was dumped in front of their home every morning. And every morning she and her husband had to go out and clean that up just because they were Christians. People in Cuba do not have dryers so they go out to hang their laundry. And every day as this woman went out to hang her laundry, she was verbally abused by her neighbors. And I'm going to clean up the language that she heard each day because it wouldn't be appropriate to say it to you verbatim. But I will say it close enough that you get the idea. Because every day as she went to hang out her laundry, the neighbor that lived on her right, a lady, would come out and start screaming at her, why doesn't your God just go and fornicate himself? And every day as she hung the laundry, the man that lived on the other side of her would come out and scream, I'm just going to defecate on your God. And day after day, she endured this verbal abuse. And day after day, her husband would walk the children to school and walk them home to make sure that no one harmed them. And day after day, the children would be verbally abused by their teachers as the teachers said to them each morning, are you a Christian? And when the children would answer yes, they were told, then you are stupid and you will never be able to learn because Christians are dumb. And after a while, she went to bed. And for three months, she stayed in bed, unable to get out because she was in severe depression. She wanted to flee to America, but her husband, who was a pastor, told her, we have an obligation to stay here and reach our people. At that time, 11 people would come to their home in fear and in hiding to worship Jesus. And so for three months, this woman would feed her children breakfast and go to bed. She would get out of bed when they came home to feed them once again, and she would go back to bed. And at the end of three months, she said, I made a decision. I decided if I can't leave Cuba, I can't live in Cuba like this. And I got on my knees, and I prayed, and I cried, and I begged God to be with me. And I said, God, I have three requests. Would you please provide food because my children are hungry? God, would you please give me a friend? And God, someday, could I please just see the United States of America? I sat and listened to her story, and I watched as the tears came down her face, and I saw that the hurt was still there. But she told me, you know, God worked in miraculous ways, and food was provided for my children. I was able to feed them. And look around my room, and she lives in a very sparse apartment now, but there are pictures on the walls, and she said every picture on the wall was a gift a gift from a friend that God provided. And a few years ago, I had the opportunity to visit the United States because one of her children now lives in this country and is a veterinarian. I cannot tell you her name for her safety. I cannot tell you where she lives other than in Cuba for her safety. But I can tell you this, through the prayers of her and her husband and through their faithfulness, those 11 people have now grown to 300 people that come each week to worship in a church 
in Cuba. I had Barb tell you that story this morning because I didn't hear it firsthand. Barb and I went to Cuba together to visit the church planters that Maranatha supports there. We have 12 church planters that we support so that they're able to plant and multiply and see the gospel spread throughout that country. See, I didn't hear it because I had food poisoning. Actually, I got food poisoning here in Ohio on the plane ride down. You can't fly directly into Cuba. We flew into Cancun and then from Cancun over. Uh, but on the flight from Cleveland to Cancun, I began feeling sick. Well, by the time we got into Cuba on Monday night, I had full-fledged uh, food poisoning. So I spent Monday evening, all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, and most of the day Thursday in the hotel room looking at the four walls. Fortunately, I had Barb with me so she could go out and meet with our, our church planters and give them our greetings and to share with them. My question is, why would this pastor and his wife stay in Cuba when they had opportunity to leave? And why would the people of that community treat them in such a way? Take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to continue this morning the journey through the book of Ephesians that you guys have been making why would the pastor remain? As you heard last week, God has given gifted men to his church. Men with gifts of evangelism. Men's with, men with gifts of pastor-teacher. And he's given them a calling that they are to carry out. Just as he's given all of you that have put your faith and trust in Christ a gift, and he has a calling for you that he wants you to fulfill. For what purpose? So that the body of Christ may be built up and so that it might grow into full maturity. And so here is a pastor with a gift of evangelism and a gift of pastor-teacher and a calling by God to reach his people with the gospel. So he fulfills the calling and he uses the giftedness that God has given him for the greater glory of God and for the building up of the body. But what about the attitude of the people? Why would they behave in such a manner? Well, I think Paul reveals that to us in Ephesians chapter 4 in verses 17 through 19. Notice what Paul writes and he says, so I tell you this, and I insist on it from the Lord. This is what Paul's saying. I'm going to inform you of something, and then I'm going to insist on something for you. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. When he talks about the Gentiles here, he's talking about those who are outside of Christ. And then he defines for us the way that believers used to live 
and the way that those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, how they live. He says that you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So who were we outside of Christ? We were, first of all, people with futile thinking. We don't see and think about things the way they really are. Our vision is perverted. The scriptures tell us that we have been blinded by the God of this world. He says they are darkened in their understanding. They don't understand things correctly. There is a veil that is over their eyes. And that was true of all of us before we came to know Christ as Savior. Our thinking was futile. Our understanding was darkened. And it says, and separated from the life of God, we're separated from true life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus came and died so that he could give to us that life. And outside of Jesus Christ, outside of putting your faith and trust in him, you're void of that life that only he can give. He says they're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. He says that outside of Christ, we were, and those outside of Christ are ignorant of spiritual things. The things of God are understood by the Spirit of God. The natural man does not understand the things of God. He cannot know them. But notice Paul says their ignorant is in, ignorance is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now, I'm speaking to some this morning that you know the truth, but you have chosen not to accept it. Maybe you've been brought up in church. Maybe you're a young person here, and you're here this morning because your parents have made you to be here. You really don't want to be here, but you really have no choice in the matter. You are here this morning. Or maybe you're someone that's a little bit older, that you've grown up in church, but you've never made that commitment of giving your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Each time that you hear the gospel, understand it, know it, and do not respond to it, you are hardening your heart. And the Apostle Paul says that that's what we do outside of Christ. And when we harden our hearts, we become ignorant to the truth. He says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Paul says that outside of Christ, we lust for sensuality and impurity, and we're never satisfied. Whatever it is that is fulfilling our desires, it will never be quite enough, and we will always want more and more and more, and we will never have that peace and that satisfaction that only comes from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ 
as Savior. And as Paul writes to those in Ephesus, he says, this is what you were. This is how you were. And he said back in verse 17, I tell you this, I want to remind you of this. Dear Christian friends, sometimes it's good for us to be reminded of where we've come from, right? It's good for us to remember what we were like outside of Jesus Christ. We need to be reminded of that. He says, so I tell you this. But then he says, I insist on it in the Lord that you no longer live this way. It is one thing for those who do not know Jesus to live in this fashion. It is another thing for the children of God to live in this way. And Paul says, I insist that if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you must abandon that former way in which you lived. Because we know Christ. And in verses 20 to 24, he talks about knowing Christ. And he says, you, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. You didn't come to know Christ through that. You came to know Christ as the Spirit of God opened your heart and you saw the truth and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. He says, surely you have heard of him. And we're taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. See, one of the wonderful things about knowing Jesus is we can know the truth. Remember that famous statement by Jesus? I am the way. Come on, together. I am the way, the truth. Jesus is the truth. Remember, as, as Jesus stood before Pilate, as Pilate was examining him, Pilate asked the question, what is truth? And there was truth embodied standing right before him. As Christians, we can and we do know the truth. And we were taught in him in accordance with the truth. You were taught, verse 22, with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Now notice what Paul is telling us to do. All right. We know the truth. The truth has been revealed to us in Jesus. Now that we know the truth... Paul is insisting that what we need to do as Christians is to put off the old self, the way that we used to live, the way that we used to behave, the way that we used to think, the way that we used to look at things. We are to put that off, put off the old. Now, some are wondering, well, exactly how do we put that off? Well, the language that's used here of that of putting off is not something that is this, this painful struggle. It's, it's kind of the word that would be used of like shedding your coat, shedding your outer coat. Take it off and set it aside. Put off the old 
And as we put off the old, he goes on and says in verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Because we know Christ, we can know the truth, we can put off the old, and just as we put off the old, what are we to do? We're to put on the new. And what is the new that we're putting on? It's the style of life that God has called us to. It is a life of righteousness. It is a life of holiness. Righteousness, very simply, doing that which is right. Holiness, being separated, being like God. God said, be ye holy as I am holy. Be separated, be set apart. And see, what Paul is painting is he's painting this real contrast this is the way that those outside of Christ live. This is how they behave. This is how they think. On this end, this is how those in Christ behave. This is how they think as they put on the new. Uh, last night, Barb and I uh, were going out and we needed to stop at the, the giant eagle. Uh, before we went to the people's home we were going to. So I decided that uh, what I would do, I would drop her off at the front door of the giant eagle, and the giant eagle in green, and some of you know there's a get-go that's over there uh, that's just a little ways away from the store. I went over there to fill her car up with gas. So I pulled up to the, to the gas pump, turned the car off, Got out, put gas in her car, and as soon as I turned the car off, I knew I'm in trouble. See, Barb has one of these cars that has the keyless entry and the keyless start to it. And as long as the key is in the car, everything is fine. But the key to the car was in Barb's purse. And Barb's in the Giant Eagle, and I've just turned the car off at the gas pump. Well, I knew it would be futile for me to call Barb at that point on her cell phone and say, uh, hey, Barb, by the way, I'm over here at the get-go. I can't start your car. Could you hurry up and walk over here and, and get me the key? I knew that wasn't going to happen. In my dreams, that might have happened, but not in reality. So what did I do? I then went to the, the person running the gas pumps inside. I said, by the way, my vehicle's going to be sitting here for a while. Uh, I have to walk over to the giant eagle, explained it to him, and he said, okay. Now, the car was there. It's in great shape. It runs fine. But it's going nowhere unless I have the key. My friends, we can know all about what we need to do. The problem for most of us as Christians is not that we do not know how we are to behave or how we are to act. 
but there's a struggle that goes on inside of us between putting off the old and putting on the new. But there is a key that causes all of that to work, and that key is dependence upon the Spirit of God and letting the Spirit of God work through us. It's just merely surrendering to God and following His guidance in our lives to do that which is right and to behave in a manner that holiness is that which exhibits our lifestyle. Because we know Christ, we can do this. Friends, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the key to righteousness, the key to holiness is not in your works, it's not in your behavior, it's not in coming to church, it's not being in baptized, it's by putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The key is knowing God. The key is knowing Christ. Not just knowing about Him, but knowing him and submitting yourself to him. Now, having said all of that, the Apostle Paul now launches in to a very practical section in this book. The net, what follows next are the practical implications of putting off the old and putting on the new. I want you to know that this, these next verses are verses that I refer to more in counseling sessions than any other part of the Word of God. If you're here this morning and you're having interpersonal relationships, I can pretty much guarantee that the issues will be covered in this next area that we're going to see here in Ephesians. If you're having marital problems, I can guarantee that the issues that you're facing are going to be covered by these practical implications that are about to flow from this part of this book. I believe that what is going to be said here from a practical standpoint is going to hit all of us at least one of these areas, is going to hit all of us squarely between the eyes of something in our lives we need to deal with. Verse 25, therefore, I constantly say when I'm preaching, whenever you come across in the text the word therefore, you should stop and see what is it there for. It's connecting you to what has already been said. Because you are to put off the old and put on the new. Therefore, each of you, nobody's left out, everyone's included here, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Practical implication number one, we must be truthful. I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. 
we need to put off falsehood. Husbands and wives, are you really being honest with one another? Do you tell your maid the truth? Often I sit in the counseling room with a husband and wife before me, and they've never told each other the truth. They have secrets about things that they're afraid to tell their mate. When I have people before me that one of them is, is guilty of committing adultery, there is always lying that goes with it. I have yet to see anyone involved in sexual immorality that lying is not a part of what's going on. Because the whole affair itself is a lie. And so they're not honest with one another. Recently I met with a couple that the couple has been lying to one another for years and only finally did the truth come out in the counseling room. You can't deal with problems and issues if you're not honest with one another. Put off the falsehood and tell the truth. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't be kind as we tell the truth. We are to, the admonition from Scripture, to speak the truth in love. Let's make sure that we do it. Husbands, it's sort of like when your wife asks you, does this outfit make me look fat? It's kind of a no-win situation. But the right answer is not, no, the outfit doesn't make you look fat. You are fat. Uh, th th that, that doesn't work real well. We speak the truth in love. But we have to share the truth. We have to quit lying to one another. So practical implication of putting on the new self is we walk in the truth and we speak the truth. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. If we're to do it to our neighbor, we're to do it to our spouse, and we are to do it to everyone because we are all members of one body. Remember it was talked about last week, how we're all a part of the body of Christ if we put our faith and trust. And out of our respect for each member of the body, we show that love, and we show that love by willing to be able to tell them the truth. In your anger... Verse 26, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Deal, practical implication number two, is deal with issues each day. Deal with issues each day. Notice it says, be angry and do not sin. Now, I know there are those out there who say that being angry, just being angry in and of itself is a sin. I don't believe that at all. Anger is an emotion. Even God gets angry. Christ got angry. We can become angry, and there are many things we can be angry about and be justified in our anger. 
It's not the emotion that's a sin. It's how we respond with that emotion. Be angry and do not sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with the issues each day. Husbands and wives, don't let today's problems roll over into tomorrow. The sooner you deal with it, the better. Pretty much every married couple that I know of at some point deals with this kind of issue. Especially because sometimes I think God has a sense of humor. Uh, he always seems to have a night person marry a morning person. Have any of you noticed that? You know, I'm a night person, Barb's a morning person. So therefore, early in our marriage, when I would become angry about something, it would take me a long time to get ready to talk to her about it. Uh, Barb, because she typically gets up about 5 or 5.30 in the morning, goes to bed and goes to sleep around 10 o'clock every night. Uh, personally, I go to sleep about midnight or 1 o'clock every night. So about 11 o'clock, I'd be ready to talk to Barb about our issues. Because I knew from the scripture, I'm a pastor, I can't let this day end without talking about it. And I'm laying in bed mad at her, and I can't understand how she can be over there sound asleep when I'm furious at her. Well, early in our marriage, I would wake her up at that point and say, hey, can we talk about something? <laughs> I, I learned that was not the best thing to do. <laughs> Deal with the issues that day, though. As soon as possible, you deal with them. Don't put them off. You can be angry and not sin. But if you don't deal with the issues and you let them go, it has now turned into sin because you haven't obeyed what the Word of God has told you. And notice the warning that Paul gives there, verse 27, and do not give the devil a foothold. See, when we don't speak the truth to one another, when we lie to one another, when we become angry and do not deal with those issues but let them go on, we have given the devil a foothold into our lives. Yes, Christians, this is not the lost people here, Christians, the devil can get a foothold into your life. And a foothold, if it's not dealt with, will ultimately become a stronghold, a repeated pattern that goes on and on and on, and then it becomes more and more difficult to break. So Paul warns us right up front, deal with these issues today so Satan doesn't get this foothold inside of our lives. He goes on and says, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Now this seems a little bit out of place here. Let him who steals steal no longer and let him go to work. He's talking about 
anger issues here, and he's going to go back to talking about anger issues in a moment. So why is this thrown in right in the middle here? First of all, we are not to steal. That goes all the way back to the Ten Commandments. It's made clear. We are not to steal. We are not to take that which is not ours. Let him who has been stealing stop it. And he's implying they were stealing in order that they might have things for themselves that they might be able to live. And he says, you need to stop stealing and you need to go out and get a job. Sometime it would be good for you to study the Word of God and see what it has to say about work. God has created man to work. He put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and he gave them work to do. Man is to work. And Paul says here, if you've been stealing, stop it and go get a job and work and not just to meet your own needs, but to meet the needs of others. Many times people are stealing from others because they're angry and they feel things are owed to them. They feel that life has not been fair. There are other issues that are causing them to take the steps that they're taking. Do not steal. Go to work. Notice he goes on and he says in verse 29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful to building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The next practical implication is this. Control your mouth. Control your mouth. How often our mouths get us in trouble. And Paul says, nothing should come out of our mouths if it's not going to benefit others and build others up. Let that be the check. Is this going to be positive for others? Will this build them up or will this tear them down? If it's going to tear them down, then don't say it. Control your mouth. He goes on, verse 30, says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's the Spirit of God that is the seal, the guarantee of our salvation, and we are not to grieve Him. In other words, we're to be sensitive to hearing the Word of God, hearing the Spirit of God speak to us, and when He speaks, we're to obey and follow what He tells us to do and not grieve Him by a lifestyle that is not pleasing to God. He goes on and says in verse 31 that we are to get rid of all anger in all of its forms. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. If we were to take the time this morning and break down every one of these words in its meaning, what we would find is all of these words are connected with anger and rage that has been pushed beneath the surface. It talks about, one word talks about a boiling that is happening underneath. Another talks about explosions. 
Another talks about the sound and how loud it becomes, comparing it even to the cry of a raven. So what Paul is telling us here, we need to get rid of any bitterness. Is there bitterness in your life this morning? Is there something there that you do not think is fair that you have undergone and it continues to bother you and hurt you again and again and again? Is there rage beneath the surface that explodes? Something happens and you just explode. And your explosion is out of proportion to the event that has occurred. That's a way to tell that there are things in your life you've not dealt with. Please notice what he says. Get rid of it. Today we hear people talking about anger management. Biblically, there's no such thing as anger management. You cannot manage your anger. You need to get rid of your anger. Now, you can't totally get rid of the emotion, but the bitterness that is beneath the surface, the issues that are there that you have not dealt with, you cannot manage that. You have to get rid of it. And the only way to get rid of it is by dealing with the issues of bitterness that is beneath the surface. Be kind, verse 32, and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Be kind and compassionate. Be kind and compassionate. In our relationships with one another, we prefer others as better than ourselves. We're kind to them. We show them love. We care for them. And then we forgive. And we forgive as Christ forgave us. Even as they were nailing him to the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The people in our past who have hurt us, the people who have injured us, the people that we are bitter with, the people that have caused this rage to be inside of us, we have to let it go by forgiving them. When Brian, my son, one of your pastors, was a teenager. Now, Brian growing up was basically a real good kid who gave us very little problems. But whenever Brian got into trouble, it usually related to one thing. And I know this is going to come as a surprise to those of you who know him. It was his mouth <laughs> that would get him in trouble. And Brian knew just how to push my buttons. Parents, you know what that's like when your kids know which buttons to push to get you. And I remember an evening, Brian had done something he shouldn't have done. And he was wrong, and he came home, and I started getting after him for what he had done. And he needed, 
He needed that. But he began pushing my buttons. And as he did, I exploded. You know, there are things that need to be dealt with, things that we need to do, and then there's an overreaction. For instance, if you have an ant in your home, you need to kill the ant. You don't need to use a nuclear bomb to get rid of the ant, but you need to kill the ant. Well, Brian was pushing my buttons, and I exploded, and he went out of the room. Barb said to me, why do you let him do that to you? He knows just how to push your buttons, and you fall for it each time. But that evening was a breakthrough for me. Because the Spirit of God spoke to my heart and said, this isn't about Brian. This is about the bitterness and the anger that you have beneath the surface that went all the way back to the relationship that I had with my parents, which was a very bad relationship. And there were things for me to be angry about. There were things for me to be upset about. But I did what most of us as men do. I had shoved it beneath the surface. Or if you ask me, I would have told you, I've dealt with it. I have it under control. I've forgiven. It's behind me. But the truth was, all I had done was bury it and not deal with it. But on that evening, I realized through the conviction of the Spirit of God that once and for all, I had to put this bitterness and this anger that was beneath the surface behind me. I had to confess to God my part in not having dealt with it. I had to be willing to forgive those who had hurt me in the past. I had to mourn for the relationship that I desired that wasn't there and I could do nothing about and give that all up by forgiving. And I can tell you this. That as I worked through that, that evening, it was a turning point for me in my life. That I applied what this passage has to say. And I dealt with it once and for all. And dear friends, if you're here this morning... And that's beneath the surface with you. Get rid of it. Quit trying to manage it. Quit shoving it beneath the surface. Get rid of it. Put off the old. And put on the new.
Let's pray. I wonder this morning as we go to prayer if there are those here who would say, Butch, pray for me. I'd like to include you in my prayer. If you realize today that there are issues that you need to deal with that are beneath the surface, and you're willing to say, by the grace of God, I want to deal with these issues and put them behind me. I have some bitterness. I have some people I haven't forgiven. Whatever it may be, and you would say this morning, Butch, I recognize that's true in my life. Would you pray for me? Would you slip your hand up for a moment? Okay. I, I see those hands all over the congregation. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you sent your Son into this world, and he suffered and died for us. And even as he prayed, and he was willing to forgive those who were even nailing him to the cross, I would pray that you would be with each person who raised their hand here this morning, Lord. You know the issues that they are dealing with. You know what bitterness is there. You know what hurts are there from the past. Would you, Lord, help them that they might put off that old and put on the new through the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, help us that we might live those righteous and holy lives you have called us to live. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To those of you who raised your hands, let me say this to you. Work at getting rid of it, but if you're having trouble doing that, you make an appointment with one of your pastors here. And they can help you walk through and work through those issues. Because you're never going to be totally free and totally enjoy the freedom that Christ has for you. As long as you have this beneath the surface. You have to get rid of it. Quit trying to manage it. And get rid of it. So that God can then use you the way that he really wants to use you. Fully to his honor and to his glory.